2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 to 18. And as I just told you, today we're coming to the very end of 2 Peter. And in this letter, Peter has, I told you from day one, Peter is going to address matters of life and death. Big things. This was the end of Peter's life. It was headed towards him. He was in a Roman prison. He knew that his time was short on earth. And he had decided to sit down and write a letter to the churches to be able to be distributed to the different believers in the area to give them a few reminders and a few key points to hold on to after he was gone. He had spent the majority of his life shepherding and caring for people. And he didn't want to leave them just as orphans. He wanted to say, hey, here are some things for you to hold on to as I leave. And that's what we've studied. And here in the final words of the letter, perhaps the very last words he ever wrote in his life, he's going to continue that theme of life and death by encouraging us to live our lives on the solid foundation of grace. And uh, not only that solid foundation of grace that Jesus has given us, but to also lean into a growing relationship with him. And it really is that simple. It's grace and growth. And that's what we're going to see here today. All right? And, and as I was reading through these, I, I was thinking about the, the, the context. Because one of the things that's hard in, in the Bible a lot of times is we open up our Bibles, we open up this big book, written a long time ago. It's from generations and generations ago in different cultures and far off lands. And sometimes it's hard for us to understand the context of what's happening in a piece of scripture. And there are some passages of scripture that are a lot easier to understand than others. And there are some you open it up and you're like, I have no idea what I just read. It's a bunch of names I can't pronounce and a bunch of places that I don't know where they're at. <laughs> and they're talking about all these things that I should understand and I don't get this. So sometimes it's important to get a sense of the I shouldn't say sometimes. It's always important to get a sense of the context of what's being written in the scripture if you really want to understand what's happening. And I feel like as I was, I was trying to think about how to convey what Peter is saying at the end of this letter is I feel like it's, you have to understand that this is in an encouraged voice from Peter. Peter's fired up. It, yes, he's going to meet his maker once again, literally, very soon. But he's not down and depressed about it. He's not groveling and saying, if I could only have more time. He's not, he's not that way at all. Instead, the best way I could picture it was, he's almost like a, a, a coach at, at the moments before a big game. All right, when I was a kid growing up, I was in, into sports a lot. I, I played, from a, the time I was a little kid, I played organized football. And then in high school, I played football and baseball and tennis and church basketball leagues. And I would want to play and compete in anything and everything I could possibly compete in. Because I loved it. I, I, it. It fired me up. And so with that, I also, I was into sports movies or, or whatever. And, and I'm sure even if you don't have a sporting background... You know what I'm talking about when I say it's like a game time coach speech, right? You've heard these things. You've watched some of these movies where the coach gets his team together and he's got to fire them up. This is the big game. This is the thing we've been waiting for. This is what we've been training about. This is what we've been looking towards. All of the, the hard work is, is culminating here tonight, right? You want to fire them up and get them to play and perform at the highest level that they can possibly perform. 
Peter is, is doing that here. He's going to tell us, look, get out there. It's time. Get moving. There's energy. There's excitement. Get out there and get it done. Stick to your training. Execute the plan. It's go time. But as we're going to see here, Peter's variation on that is it's grow time. <laughs> All right? And that's what he's going to describe to us. So that's the, 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 the theme, sort of the, the, the feel of this passage. And let's read it here in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Are you there? 2 Peter 3, 14. Here's what he says. He says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these. Now, that's from last week. He's referring back to what he talked about in verse 13, which was the fact that Jesus is returning and there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. All right. And he says, since you're waiting for those things to happen, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord salvation, just as our beloved Paul also wrote. Paul, meaning the one who wrote 13 out of the 27 books of the New Testament, that, the Apostle Paul, just like he, Paul wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So what do we see in this little section here? What we first see is he says, look, I know you're waiting for these things. Jesus is coming back. We've, over the past several weeks, we've looked at that multiple times where Peter addresses some of the end times. We, we, we even use the big word, eschatology, the end times, the study of the end. Peter gets into that and he looks at those things and he, he said very clearly, look, Jesus is coming back. I know there's people, naysayers out there, scoffers, who are saying, well, where is he already? I mean, you've been saying that for all these years. And, and he said, yes, I know that's the case, but Jesus is coming back. He was confident about that truth. And what Peter has told us is, when he comes back, everything will be changed. Everything will be changed. But in the meantime, he, this passage, like so many throughout the Bible, tell us to be ready and waiting for his return. That was the message last week, ready and waiting. And, and as we began to talk about that last week, Peter challenged us to live lives of holiness and godliness. He said, Jesus is coming back, but while you're waiting for his return, make sure you're living a life of holiness and godliness. And that's what he's continuing here in this verse when he says there in verse 14, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. In, in our life group this week, on Friday night, we had a good conversation about this idea of being holy and, and what that means. And, and at first glance, one of the things that we talked about, and that is, wow, at first glance, it seems like that's, un, that's unattainable. That's like way over my head. The, the Bible, I, I mean, Leviticus eleven forty four, be holy for I, your God, am holy. That seems ugh, heavy. Can we do that? Can we pull that off to be holy? Like, I mean, maybe like some pastor or some monk in a far off cave, you know, maybe they can be holy, but I don't know if I can be a person who's holy. Maybe that's just for the saints. But as you begin to study that a little more and start understanding what that actually means, you start understanding that, no, this is something that is in front of us that we can lean into. Now, 
In order to understand this well, especially that phrase, without spot or blemish, I've got to give you some, some Jewish history, Jewish context, a Jewish understand, understanding. Because that may sound like kind of a weird phrase, spot and blemish. I mean, is this like a face cream thing that we're dealing with here? Or what, what, what is this? No, in the Jewish sacrificial system, the people were required to bring animal sacrifices to the temple and before that to the tabernacle. That was part of the way that they were to worship God is with animal sacrifice. They would bring these animals to the priests at the temple and the animals were brought alive. All right, so you'd go to church and you'd be bringing a goat or a sheep or a a, a bird of some sort and it's alive and that's how you're going to church. I don't recommend that the next barbecue you're invited to you show up with a live chicken (laughs) and be like I'm ready who wants chicken (laughs) your friends would think you're weird (laughs) probably I don't know you might have some different friends than I do Um, that's not that's not what I would recommend but that is what these people did and the different animals were for the different offerings and the different sacrifices And it was according to what you could even afford. If you were the poorest of poor, you would bring a little turtle dove, which was sold in the market very cheaply. If if you were uh, bringing a sacrifice for your whole family or extended family, it might be a goat or a sheep, something that was of higher value. And for different, uh, some of these different offerings, it, it required a different type of animal. But the animal then, when it was brought to the the place of worship, that would be inspected by the priest. And what the priest was supposed to do was to take a look at that animal real thoroughly and make sure that that animal was a perfect animal, a perfect specimen. It didn't have spots or blemishes, meaning it wasn't like the crippled, beat-up animal that got mauled by your dog on the way out the door. None of those things. This animal was supposed to be the best, the best that it could be because you were to be bringing your best to God. And what you were offering was a sacrifice to God. Now, that is what this phrase that Peter brings up here when he says, he's calling us, he says, be diligent to make sure that you are found when Jesus returns to be without spot or blemish that you're supposed to be the way prepared to be offered as a sacrifice. All right, do you understand that? That's what the phrase is referring to. And, and, and so you might say, well, hold on then. I mean, all right, I barely got over the holiness conversation last week, but so now you're telling me without spot or blemish, am I supposed to be perfect? Do I have to be perfect when Jesus shows up? If I'm gonna be okay with God when judgment comes? Well, yes and no. Don't freak out. Let's, let's get into this. Now, back to holiness. Last week I told you if, you, if you went through the Bible and picked out every reference to being holy in the Bible or holiness, 698 times it's found in the ESV version of the Bible, which is the one that I'm preaching from today. 698 times. All right, that's a couple pages full of just holy, 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 holy. It's everywhere. It's in our our scripture all over the place. And something that I, I told you this last week, something that is holy is something that is set apart from regular things. Something that is now being used for a sacred purpose. 
That's what being holy is. It's being set aside, set apart. Not for common use any longer. Now it's for special use, for a sacred use. And God himself, the Bible tells us, is holy. He is set apart from the rest of his creation. He is perfect without spot or blemish. He is holy, but he calls us to be holy. Now that's the part that we get tripped up on. Because we're like, but I'm not God. I'm not like God. That's not how my brain works. <laughs> That's not who I am. That's not what I'm exposed to. That's not my desires. I'm not perfect. So how is it that God is calling us to be holy? Well, what we find out is as you study through the Bible, what you learn is that common things, regular things like you and me, regular people, common things can be made holy by another big Bible word, consecration. A regular thing can be made a holy thing through consecration. Now, the way to describe this best is, again, Old Testament history here. If you go back, and, and I, if we had lots of time today, we would do this together and read the entire chapter of Leviticus chapter 8. And, and I'd encourage you, if you've got some time this, this week, read Leviticus chapter 8. And it will enhance what you're, you're learning here today. In Leviticus chapter 8, third book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Moses has been commanded by God to start the, the worship of God among his people. Uh, he's, he's called together the nation of Israel. He says, you're going to be my chosen people. You're going to be set apart from the rest of the world. You are going to worship me and I'm going to establish this religion, this framework for you to worship me. And that's where all those sacrifices come into play. But before they had made any sacrifices as a nation, as Jews, Moses was taught by God to take Aaron, his brother, and Aaron's sons and consecrate them to become the priests for the whole nation. And you go through in Leviticus 8 and he starts talking about the process that they took Aaron and his sons through to become consecrated. And it's, it's bizarre to us. You're like, wow, this is ancient worship types of stuff. It, it starts by God telling Moses, you're going to make this anointing oil. And it's going to be this special recipe of oil that's going to be made. And you're going to take that oil and you're going to anoint Aaron and each of his sons. You're going to take oil and you're going to pour it on them. And not only on them, but all of the things that they're going to use for the worship. Like I said, there's a lot of animal sacrifice involved in this worship. So the altar, the grill that they would be grilling them on was going to be anointed with this oil. The utensils, the big forks and the knives and all those things were to be anointed. The clothes, even that they wore, were were specified by God. He said, this is what you're going to make these clothes out of. This is what it's going to look like. You're going to dress them in these uniforms. And so everybody would know there's a priest. And, and those, even the clothes are going to be anointed. All right. And all of these common things, they're common people, they're common tools. These common things are going to be made holy because they're going to go through this consecration process. Not only was there an anointing with oil, but what we also see is as they do the very first sacrifice, the sin sacrifice, they kill the animal, they drain the blood, 
And they also use the blood to sprinkle the blood on all these items. So there's an anointing of oil. There's an anointing of blood. In fact, with Aaron and his sons, he takes them apart and says, Look, Moses, dip your hand in the blood. And I want you to take and wipe blood on the right earlobe of Aaron and his sons. On his right, big, his right thumb and his right big toe. And, and, and all the people are watching this ritual take place. And what is he basically saying? He's like, look, from your head to your toe and everything in between, you are being made holy. You're being sanctified. You're being consecrated. You're being set apart for this particular special use. All right? This was part of this consecration process. Now, as, as generations went on, Aaron and his sons, except for the two sons that got a little bit drunk and tried to do their job and got killed in the next chapter, but we won't talk about that today. But the following generations that would come in Aaron's line, the, the, the line of Levi, the Levitical priesthood, all of these that would come up would go through the same process. And so for generation and generation, all the way until the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, that's what the priests would go through to become consecrated for this special work. Now, this is no longer a role for one family. That's not the way it works any longer. Now, this business of being consecrated and made holy is actually for every Christian. It's not just for your pastor. It's for you. Now, we're not bringing back animal sacrifice <laughs> or a bowl of goat blood to church next week. That's not what's, what's happening here. But just as they were consecrated as priests before God, we as Christians are called to be consecrated as well. We are a kingdom of priests and a holy nation is what the Bible tells us. Peter in his first letter in 1 Peter 2.9, he says this, but you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You're set apart from everyone else. That you may, be, may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, the Jewish law and all that sacrificial system and all the details of all that, that was all part of a covenant Okay, I know we've got a lot of big church words here today, but you can handle it. It was a part of a covenant, a, a contractual agreement between God and his chosen people, Israel. And it's, it's referred to as a covenant in the Bible. We, however, we're not part of that covenant. I, I don't know that any of you have Jewish Orthodox Jewish backgrounds where you would say, yes, I'm a Jew and been raised as part of the nation of Israel and all that. Um, I'm not. And so because of that, we're not part of that old covenant. That was a covenant between God and Israel, those people. Jesus came and fulfilled the requirements of that law, of that covenant. He fulfilled that and replaced the old covenant with a new one. Last week when we had communion together, I read you from 1 Corinthians where Jesus says that very thing. He says, this is going to be a new covenant in my blood. 
No longer the blood of these animal sacrifices and all of that. Now, once and for all, Jesus was offered on the cross and his blood would be the blood that would cover the sins of the whole world, both in his day all the way to the end. It's a new covenant. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice without spot or blemish. You see how this all starts tying together? You might have wondered how on earth are all these animal sacrifices and things, how does this all come back around? This is where it it happens, where it meets. And when we as Christians, if you're a Christian here today, when we place our hope and trust in him, in Jesus, his blood covers our sin and his righteousness is attributed to us. Okay, that's critical. Because that is the key to understanding what Peter calls us to. When Peter says, you've got to be holy. You need to show up without a spot or a blemish on you. This is the key to being able to do that. Because what we find is that as Jesus cleanses us, and we are given ultimately his righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus through faith. And that's why Peter even refers back to Paul and Paul's letters there in in 2 Peter when we're reading that. And he says, yeah, remember all the stuff that Paul said? The guy's really smart. (laughs) Listen to him. Sometimes it's hard to understand, but it's important. Let me me read you two passages here um, from from Paul that explains this, this righteousness of Jesus being given to us. In Philippians 3, 8, and 9, it says this. Paul writing here, he says, I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish, trash, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Listen, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that's referencing that old sacrificial system, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Okay, turn with me in your Bibles. We'll come back to 2 Peter, but I, I want you to read this because it's, it's, it's important. Um, in Romans chapter 8, go over there. This, this explains a lot of this as well. Romans 8, 1. Here's another big passage that Paul writes. He says this. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's someone who's put their faith and hope and trust in Jesus. That means you are in him and he is in you. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That's the old covenant, the old law. There's a new law, a law of the spirit that Jesus set in motion. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Do you understand what is being described here? He says, look, there was this old system. And you're right. You had to come 
back over and over and over again to the temple. You had to keep bringing the sacrifices. Every year there was a sin of a, a sacrifice of atonement where they'd have to kill this animal and say, we tried to work really hard this year and live without sin, but we blew it. So we're gonna kill an animal again and say, Lord, forgive our sins again for this year. And then every time you personally would sin, then you'd have to go back again and offer another sacrifice, kill another animal and be like, ah, I blew it once again. And so now we come in, in this day and age and we look at this statement that says, be holy. And we're like, how in the world am I supposed to do that? It'd be a whole lot easier if I could just kill an animal every week when I come to church. But, but the new covenant says, no, you don't have to do that any longer because there's a new way. There's a new covenant. Jesus has already shed the blood that needed to be shed for every sin. And that is what we live under. That's the covenant that we're under under this, this new law of the Spirit, all right? Now, I realize that's some deep theology, and that's some, some heavy understanding of how this all works, and sometimes it is difficult to understand those deeper things, but the simplicity of the gospel is this. Jesus has done freely for us what we could not do for ourselves. So when you read these passages, where it says, be diligent to be found without spot or blemish. What is he saying? He's saying, make sure you're found in Jesus. Because if you're found in Jesus, all that other stuff is taken care of. The sacrifice has been made. Are we to be holy and spotless? That's why I said yes and no. The answer is yes. Is that what God requires of us? Yes. You as a Christian here are supposed to be spotless, without a blemish righteous, holy, but it's not your righteousness. It's not my righteousness. It's Jesus's righteousness. All right. This is what we call grace. So what Peter is calling us to here when he says, look, make sure you're being diligent in this way. He says, make sure you're in grace. Make sure you're in and covered and protected by Jesus. Because then when you are at that place, what does he say? He says, then you'll be at peace. Because it's the air conditioning coming on. It's not, it's not goats running down the, the thing. He says, look, if that's taken place, if that's what happens, if you're in Jesus, you will be set up the way you need to be set up. You will be at peace waiting for his return. But, he then goes on in verse 17, he says, and even if we know that, even if we know we can be hidden in Jesus, we can be knocked out of that place of peace. And so in verse 17, that's how he's gonna warn us here. He says, you therefore, 2 Peter three seventeen, you therefore beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. When we realize we accept and understand grace and we see that powerful work that Jesus has done in us, we feel at peace. We feel stable. We feel like we're, we're where we need to be in this life. That's when we understand grace. When we realize finally and take the pressure off ourselves and realize it's him, it's all him. This is good news. I don't have to try to pull this off. He's done it. When we're at that spot, we're stable. But what Peter says is, hey, but make sure you don't get carried away and knocked off balance because that happens. 
This is back to the locker room talk, all right? This is back to the coach's speech. This is the coach again saying to us, all right, listen, when you get out there on the field, on the court, you realize these things are gonna be coming at you. There's people out there that want to take you out. They want to knock you over. They want to defeat you. That's the way it's going to be. And what does Coach Pete here say to us? He says, look, get ready. Get ready, team. They're gonna try to disrupt your game. They're gonna try to confuse you with trick plays. They're gonna catch you off guard and take advantage of every mistake you make. But don't lose your balance. Keep your feet under you. Stability matters. And instead of keeping on track with Jesus, who covers our sins, we can wander off in directions away from him and stumble and fall back into sin. Does that resonate with anybody here? Do you understand? Oh, yeah, that's what's going on. So I did give my life to the Lord. I have been trying to pursue the Lord. But when those thoughts came in, it's not because this wasn't real and this didn't take. It's because I've wandered off. It doesn't mean that Jesus has dropped me or that I was never with him. It's that I have wandered off of the path. And those places, the places of sin, we know lead to destruction and death. And so Peter admonishes us to be careful. Because here's the thing. This is how humans tend to function. Have you ever noticed that about yourself? Where you make a decision, you make a choice, and you're like, I'm going to do this. Nothing's going to stop me. I'm never going to make that same mistake again. I'm never going to crumble in this way ever again. Peter had a good experience of that, right? With Jesus on the night of the, uh, that Jesus was betrayed and all that whole thing. Jesus, the rest of those guys will die. Uh, they'll, they'll do whatever they're going to do. They'll fall away. Not me. I'm going to stay strong. And then what happens? A week later, a month later, five minutes later, you're like, how on earth had I just done the thing that I swore I'd never do again? It's hard. And when we're talking about our own sinful nature that we're born with, a fallenness and a brokenness that pushes us towards sin, that's hard to come o- get over. You know, um, according to the American Addiction Center's article on breaking addiction cycles, it says this, more than 85% of individuals relapse and return to drug use within the year following treatment. Researchers estimate that more than two-thirds of individuals in recovery relapse within weeks to months of beginning addiction treatment. And, and for those of you who have gone through some of that stuff and recovering from that stuff, you'll be like, yes, I see this all the time. Guess what? Our sin nature is, is every bit as difficult to overcome as a, a, a physical addiction to some substance. Our sin nature is in us too. Just like our brains have been rewired when we become addicted to something. It's breaking that and rewiring who we are. It's difficult and it's especially difficult if our primary influences don't change. Talk to somebody in in recovery in that process and you'll find that in order for real change to happen in their lives, they had to make real changes. And sometimes that meant the people that they hung out with, the places they used to go, the things that they used to do. So does he say then, all right, well, if there's lawless people out there, that just means people without the law, people that don't know God. 
If they're out there and, and, and you can be carried away with them down that path, does that mean you're supposed to avoid them only and be away from them? No. But if we are surrounded only by those who don't know God, there's a real concern that we can be carried away by their error and lose sight of the path that God has called us to. We are to be in the world, but not of it. And all the while that we're in the world to not lose our stability. That's one of the places where we see the purpose of the church in our lives. I, I realize this um, not only here for our church, but in talking with some other pastor friends of mine. I know that after the whole COVID lockdown period, it's been hard for a lot of people to get back to church. So God bless you. I'm glad you're here. But even now that things have loosened up and lightened up in many, many ways, for a lot of people that went to church, in some cases for decades, for their whole lives, they still haven't come back to church after, after that time of lockdown. It's difficult. And I think one of the big reasons that people have had a hard time getting back is because they don't really understand what the church is for. They don't really understand what's happening here. Guys, you're not just here to hear some message from me. And if that's all that you think, then, then why be here? You could be in your jammies at home on the couch. And you could watch, let's be honest, preachers better than me. <laughs> but that's not all that it is. Church is not just this place where you go and get this information about God that you pack into your head. There's so much more. And the biggest thing about a church is each of you. It's the people. It's interacting in a community. It's doing something together. It's coming back together in a place to worship God and glorify God with others and focusing in on that and allowing God to shape us through one another, through the community of faith. Yes, does a message matter? Yes. Do you need to learn the, the scriptures? Yes. All those things are good. But if all you think you're doing is come in here to get a piece of information and walk out the door, I wouldn't go to church either. That's not what it is. We are here to provide stability for one another. And we have to understand that. And as we walk the path with, with Jesus, over time, we're built up. We're stabilized even more. And, and as you continue to walk with him, it, your faith grows and we grow. And, and that's why he says, don't be carried away. Don't lose your stability, but grow. And that's what he says in verse 18 as we, we wrap up here. In verse 18, it says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So I told you at the beginning, Peter is challenging us with growth and grace. He says, grace, Jesus has done it. That's how you're here. But now he says, now that you're standing on that foundation of grace, it's time for you to grow. You've got to grow. Now, I, I realize um, a lot of times I do this too. You come to the last verse of a book of the Bible and you're like, okay, yeah, this is kind of a throwaway verse, right? It's just like the conclusion, whatever. This is a flowery language that all the apostles wrote at the end of their, their books, whatever. It's kind of like a, yeah, have a great day, see you soon kind of a statement. But it's not. We don't want to blow this one off because it's not just a nice sentiment. This final statement, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, 
That's the call of all the saints that have gone before us. And that is the call of Jesus himself when he tells us, grow. Jesus came, sacrificed himself, did all the heavy lifting, died in our place, gave us his blood to cover our sins, but not just to say, all right, you're good. I'm out of here. I'll see you in a few thousand years. He says, no, I'm going to do that part for you. And now you're ready to grow. Now you're ready to begin living the life of a Christian. God does not simply want us to survive in this life. He wants us to thrive. He wants us to grow. We're to be holy, not just as a trophy on God's shelf. There's one of my holy ones. See, I got a picture of him on my wall. That's not, that's not it. We have a real purpose in the world around us. And our growth and our health is paramount to these purposes. So, if Peter was here today with his coach's tips, when he tells you before he sends you out that door to, to go do what you're to do out there on the field of life, what's he gonna say? He's gonna say, you gotta get out there and grow and here's some things that you gotta do. Some practical ways here to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus as we wrap up here today. What, here's how I've came to these and I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you five right now. And these five things are certainly not exhaustive. All I did is I asked myself that question. I said, how have I grown spiritually? What are some things in my life that have helped me grow as a Christian? And I picked five of them, all right? So you may have five others or whatever. There go the goats. I'm always gonna refer to that from here on out. And now you're going to, even if I don't say it. But anyway, um, Here's, here's five ways, practical ways that we can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. The first thing that came to my mind is people. People. People have influenced me to grow in my relationship with God. Part of that starts all the way back to the family that I was born into. My, my parents were Christians and I was raised in a Christian household. Look, I know very few of us probably even had that kind of a background growing up. But I understand that was something that, that impacted me. But not just from at home, it's also been conversations with people throughout my life, talking with other people, other Christians, hearing from them, growing as I'm, as I'm sharpened by them. In some cases, it's what people do rather even what people say. It might be observing another Christian at work or a Christian at school and see, wow, that's how they live life. That's what Christians do. And it's challenged me to grow in that way. Not only that, then the people with the word, pastors, teachers, ministers, but even our church family. Many of you have caused growth in my spiritual life by being who you are. That's the way that this works. So coach tip number one, get around those people. Get around Christians. You wanna grow in your spiritual life? Get around Christians in whatever ways that you need to do that. Secondly, the Bible. That's probably a given. You'd expect a pastor to say that. It's true. The Bible has caused me to grow in my, my, my walk with the Lord. The stories, the theology, the practical teaching, the wisdom. This book teaches us about the nature and attributes of God. It teaches us how to live. And so obviously, if you want to grow in your spiritual walk, spend some time in the word. Coach's tip number two, get into the word. Number three, other books. And I realize that when I say that, there's a lot of people out there that are like, I don't read books. I don't do books. 
I can barely read an entire Instagram post. I don't do that. I understand. But I'm just telling you, this is some of the ways for me. For me, books written by Christian authors about things, Christian living, Christian thought, Christian biographies. Reading helps you grow. All right? Leaders are readers. People that grow are people that read. So get to reading, coach tip number three. And then fourth, spiritual practices. This again is one of those things that you're like, yeah, I'd expect you to say that. It's true. Spiritual practices, what I mean by that? Things like prayer, devotions, confession, meditation, memorization, fasting, tithing, church attendance. These are all spiritual practices. They are things with a spiritual focus, things that you are doing actively. Coach tip, get disciplined. Do those things and you will see growth in your life. And then finally here, encounters with God. Now I know that we can't manufacture that and make that happen, but that would be the, the, fifth, the fifth thing here. What do I mean by that? I mean, uh, for me, there have been different times where I've encountered God in different places in different ways. Is it, sometimes it's at church, at a worship service, where I may be listening to a message or in a time of worship where I feel like God is speaking to me right now and I encounter the living God. It also could happen in moments of personal worship or even out in nature, going out and I'm not saying you're worshiping the trees. What I'm saying is you're going out and you're recognizing God's creation and you're taken by just the beauty and glory of God through nature. Encounters with God. So the, the, the last of these coaches tip, tips, get into God's presence. If you want to grow, here they are again, I'll, I'll read them back to you. Get around the people, get into the word, get to reading, get disciplined and get into God's presence. Now, remember though, how this was all set up. Remember how this was all set up. Our growth is built on God's grace. It's not the other way around. So what I don't want you to take from this today is thinking, okay, I got to do those things. I got the five listed. I better get on it so that I can receive the grace of God. That's not how it works. We don't do these works so that we get the grace of God. We've been given the grace of God. And it's on that that we begin to grow. All right? After, um, in, a, in a couple of weeks, we're going to start the book of James. And that's one of the big things about the book of James is the difference between faith and works and how that, that interplay works. So just be keeping that in mind. But there are many ways, avenues that God has provided for growth by his grace. And so as my final, 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 are you being diligent? And are you using those things that God has provided for you to grow? Are you growing as a Christian? Because a healthy Christian is a growing Christian. A healthy church is a growing church. Now, I don't want you to be discouraged if you're not growing. I don't want you to hear this and be like, oh no, I'm not. That's not it. If you haven't been growing, be reminded of God's grace. He's done this for you. And it's grow time now. You can start right now. Start where you find yourself. Take the next step, whatever that might be. And let's do it together as a church. Amen? All right. Pray with me here. Lord God, I thank you for your word here today. And I pray, God, that 
as we finish this study in 2 Peter, that we would be encouraged. That we would be reminded of your goodness and all that you have done for us. We'd be reminded of your grace here today. And that we would also be challenged to begin to grow or continue growing wherever we find ourselves here today. We want to grow. And we know that you want us to grow. So Lord, I pray that you would let us do that. Let us take full advantage of the grace that's been given to us by Jesus. Let us take full advantage of the helper that you sent. As you told us, Lord, that when you, it's to, it was to our advantage that you, Jesus, would go away in the flesh because you would send your spirit into the world. And that's what you've done. And as Christians, we have received your spirit. And Lord, we pray that the spirit would work deeply in our hearts and our souls and our minds, our, our entire beings, that we'd be people that are growing and moving forward in our relationship and walk with you. The journey with you is one of great growth. And so Lord, if there are people here today that are feeling just stunted, they just feel like I have not moved in my relationship with God in, in years maybe. Lord, today I pray that you would bring new life. That your Holy Spirit would, would water the, the plant of their, their heart, Lord. And that you would cause growth to happen. And I pray, Lord, that, that maybe even this, this morning you've spoken some things to um, many of us here in this room about a particular practice that we should be stepping into, a particular thing that could encourage our growth. And, and Lord, I pray that you would give us the diligence to do that, that you'd give us the determination to do that. Whether it's growing in prayer or committing to, to spend time reading the Bible or if it's maybe simply just, just changing our friend groups so that we're around Christians more often. Whatever it takes, Lord, I just ask that you would help us respond in a way that you're calling us to. Lord, we're grateful for your grace. We're grateful for your goodness. We're grateful for your guidance in our lives. And we pray that we would be the people you're calling us to be and that we would be at peace.